Before I forget, thank you, Sister Amy and Brother Ron Hines and uh, Brother Courtney Hope for your combined musical talents this morning in our worship experience. Thank you. I enjoyed that very much. Don't you? Yes. I'll be getting my tambourine out pretty soon now. I can see the making of a praise band already. Praise the Lord. That, that's great. If you have your Bibles, and I'm sure you do, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to pick up as we've been walking through this first epistle of the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> we'll be beginning in verse 1 and move forward from there. You know, followers of Jesus Christ have a number of identities that are given in the New Testament. And um, some of those range from being called Christians, to being called believers, sometimes followers of Christ are called children of God, sometimes we're called saints, and just to name a few. And all these are describing the nature of true believers of Jesus Christ. All of these terms describe some aspect of the character and the nature of a follower of Jesus Christ. Now the Apostle John, as you're going to see, as we go into chapter 5 here, the Apostle John had yet another unique title that he liked to use. In fact, of, of the 28 times that it's used in the New Testament, John used it 24. So it's kind of like his title that he used. In fact, the title that I'm referring to is Overcomer. John refers to Christians as being overcomers. And I want us to focus on that as we begin to go into this. And it's interesting because the word overcomer in, in the Greek language was nikeo, from which we get the word Nike. And I know you probably think that was something Michael Jordan invented. But, but it means to conquer, to gain victory. Paul used that same term in Romans 8.37 when he says, we as Christians, we're more than conquerors. And John is saying, as you'll see in just a moment, that we are overcomers because of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and because of our personal commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to be dedicated to Him and to follow His footsteps through all the spiritual battles that we face in this life. And you know and I know there are spiritual battles. We are involved in spiritual warfare. And yet, with the intimidating circumstances of our world, all the evil forces at work against us, constantly being barraged by our sinful flesh nature, by, by the temptations of the devil and demons, and this anti-God world system that is so much against biblical Christianity, we don't need to be depressed. We don't need to be overwhelmed. We don't need to be running as cowards John is going to tell us as we look in the Word of God because of the very nature of our relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we are overcomers. Nikeo, we are conquerors. And, and that's something that we want to hold on to as we move forward in our relationship with the Lord. I appreciate the song that contemporary Christian singer Mandisa saying there, and, and, and she's declaring that same message, and when I was preparing the message, I couldn't help but think about the lyrics of that song and how appropriate it was, and so please forgive me, traditional uh, music singers or, or whatever hymn singers, if I introduce a little contemporary music here. Okay, it's, it's for our edification. But I want you to see, first of all, that, the, that John helps us to see in chapter 5, verse 1, that the Lord's people are overcomers of the world. 
God's people are overcomers of the whole world system in which we find ourselves. Uh, it makes me, reminds me of what John says in his gospel. In John chapter 1 verse 12, he says, But to as many as believed in him, to them he gave the power to be sons and daughters of God, to be the children of God, to those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So to be an overcomer, an overcomer, to become a part of the family of God, you've got to have right belief. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God who came into the world as the sacrificial Lamb of God who was crucified on the cross for the redemption of our sins, who was buried in a tomb and was raised on the third day. Listen, being an overcomer requires the right beliefs, right faith, as John said in John chapter 1, verse 12. But then also, if you just look back, before we look in chapter 5, verse 1, just go back in chapter 2 of 1 John and look at verse 29. Because John also says there in this epistle, he says, If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So not only is it right belief, ladies and gentlemen, listen, it's right living. It's living the Christian life. It's one thing to say with your mouth that I believe the Lord Jesus Christ and I, I affirm the teachings of the word of God. But listen, you've got to live it. John says, you've got to live in righteousness. God looks for righteousness in the life of his people. So should God's people look for righteousness in the lives of each other. And so not just right belief, but also right living. And you'll notice that John says, when we practice this righteousness there in verse 29 of chapter 2, he says that that demonstrates that we are born of God. What does it mean? You've heard Jesus describe in John 3.16, he was, or John chapter 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus wanted to know how we could have eternal life, be a part of the kingdom of God. You remember, Jesus said, you've got to be born again. You've got to be born from above. And then here John is reiterating that. He says, for us to be born of God, and literally that means out of God one has been begotten. Out of God, one has been begotten. That means that we are children of God. In 1 John chapter 3, while we're back there, close to that neighborhood, in chapter 3 of 1 John, in verse 2, he says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Listen, the children of God bear similarities to the Lord himself. We will be like him. We will see him face to face. And so as we talk about the Lord's people are overcomers of the world, as we look first here in John chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, I want you to consider the fact that God's people, overcomers if you will, they persevere in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Overcomers are perseverers. We're not quitters. We don't give up. As she was singing, hang in there. Put your trust in the Lord. No matter what the circumstances are, we persevere in our faith. Look at verse 1, chapter 5. John says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then drop down, if you will, to verse 4, because it picks up the same theme. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, don't lose sight of that, our faith. 
Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We persevere in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, results in spiritual regeneration. Hold your place there. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 3 or, or chapter 16. A very familiar episode in the ministry of Jesus Christ when he is asking his disciples there in, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 15. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? He had already asked them, who do the people say that I am? But now he turns the table on his disciples, looks them square in the face and says, but who do you say that I am? Folks, that's not an insignificant question. Because I promise you every day of your life, as you live before the Lord Jesus and as you pray to him and as you study his word and as you meditate upon it, let me, let me tell you something. He is asking you, whether you hear it verbally or audibly or not, he's asking you, who do you say that I am? And your answer to that determines your eternal destiny. It determines your spiritual identity. And you know there's... How that went, the Simon Peter then answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered to Peter and said, Blessed are you, son of Simon Bar-Jonah, a son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not, be, not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And Jesus was not saying that uniquely to Peter and his descendants. As maybe some religious traditions would have you to believe. He's saying that to every born again believer in Jesus Christ who God reveals. Do you understand? God reveals to us who Jesus is. And when it becomes clear to us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and we not only make profession of that but we build our lives on that, ladies and gentlemen, then we are overcomers. Jesus is saying, my church will be overcomers. It will overcome even the gates of Hades. And so overcomers are those who persevere in their faith and have gained this, this victory. Look, go back to chapter 5 of 1 John. I know I got you. Just, just be fluid and, 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 and flexible As, because these are things that I want you to see. But we'll go back to chapter 5 of 1 John. I want you to again focus on verse 4. John says, for whatever is born of God, that's you and me. Every one of us who are under the blood of Jesus Christ, who have made professions of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and are, are sincere in obeying him every day of our life, according to the teachings of his word, Jesus tells us through John there that whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory who overcomes the world, our faith. It's not your personal strength. It's not your abilities, your talent, your intellect, or the accomplishments of your life, ladies and gentlemen. The thing that makes you and me an overcomer is our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, believing on him with all of our hearts. Real faith 
ensures us that we have overcome this sinful world. Do you remember back in chapter 4, a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago, when I was preaching through John chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 4, in verse 4, one of my favorite verses. John says, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Speaking of those of the world, flesh, the devil, demons, the world system. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Every day you and I walk out into this sinful world with all the temptations and trials and pitfalls. Let me tell you something. Every day we go out into this world, we can hold our head up. We can hold our head up. Not because of our accomplishments, not because of our characteristics, but because of who we are. Or better still, whose we are. And we don't need to be intimidated by this world. I don't mean we need to go out there and be arrogant and act as if we are, you know, better than everybody else. But the fact is, we know that we are children of God. And because of that fact, John says, you are overcomers. So the Lord's people are overcomers of the world because they persevere in their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I also want you to see in this passage, John says that the, that the Lord's people, their faith is demonstrated through their genuine love. It's not just what you believe, it's how you believe and how you live. Go back to chapter 5 there. And I want you to look at the second part of verse 1. Remember, we kind of broke it off. And he says, And everyone who loves him, who begot, also loves him, who is begotten of him. Do you understand what John is saying there? If you say you love God, great and wonderful. But he says you demonstrate the genuineness of your love for God by the way you love those whom he has begotten. In other words, God's children. That's nothing new to us. I remember I told you, John does repetition. He's told us all through the first epistle from time to time to time. He says, if you are a genuine believer, if you are a sincere follower of Christ, you will love the people of God. You will love fellow believers. There is no excuse whatsoever on this side of heaven for any Christian, any person calling themselves a follower of Christ and to live with disdain towards another brother or sister in Christ. There should be love between the brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you know, Jesus told us that's a commandment. Our love for God results in our love for his children, for fellow Christians. Jesus said in John 13, remember he says, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, so shall you love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. You want to give people a wonderful witness, a testimony of who you are as a Christian? You let them see. You let them see how much you love the brothers and sisters in Christ. One of the things that tarnishes the very image and the testimony and the witness of a local church is when the local community gets wind that those people don't even like each other inside of that church, much less love each other. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus is serious about this business. John's serious about it. God's serious about it. Their love for God results in love for the, his children. That's how our faith is demonstrated through our love. And then also their love for God is evidenced by their obedience to his word. Our obedience to his word. You, you are crippled. You are disabled as a believer to walk through life and not know what this book teaches. It's not an ordinary book. As Hebrews 4, uh, 12 tells us, this is the living word of God. But you understand, 
How can you obey God's teachings if you don't even know them? How can you be faithful to carry out the commandments of the Lord if you don't know? How can you practice daily the principles of being a kingdom citizen if you don't even know them? Jesus said in John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 21, He who has my commandments and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And then he goes a little further in verse 23, as he was answering one of his disciples, and he says, He who loves me keeps my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him. And we will abide with him. Jesus says, you know the thing that I'm looking for in your life? It's not so much the words from your lips. It's not just the activity that you go through and worship and things like that. Though that's important. Your heart needs to be in it. You need to be sincere. Jesus says, I'm waiting to see. Are you truly serious about following me? Because if you're following me, you are obeying the teachings of my word. How sensitive are you? To violating God's word. How thrilled are you. At knowing that you live your life. In accordance to the teachings of Jesus. And so that's how our faith is demonstrated. So understand that we are. We are overcomers. By virtue of our faith. What we believe. What we believe specifically about Jesus Christ. But also by virtue of our love. Do we love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind? Do we love His people as He loves His people? And then are we obedient to the teachings of His Word? Brothers and sisters, there's no escape from that. If you're living a defeated life in this world, if you find yourself intimidated by the forces around you, if you find yourself shying away from the challenges that are facing us as a as, as Christian community by the evil, sinful world forces around us, you may be not you may not be a, an overcomer. You may not be an overcomer. And as we move further in the passages we're looking at, overcomers. As overcomers, the Lord's people are secure in their salvation. I'm so glad that I know that I'm saved. Aren't you? I am so glad that I spend no time being anxious about will I make it? What will happen when I die? Oh, I've said it before. Listen, if you get word that old Charlie Martin's checked out of this world, I don't mean to sound so secular, but, but that I'm gone, that my body is lifeless. Listen, don't stand around and cry and mourn for me. Don't, don't, please don't feel sorry for me because I promise you, as an overcomer through Jesus Christ, I have overcome the grave. I have overcome death. I've overcome sin. And my soul is in the very presence of God. And I'm there with loved ones that I've, then yearning to see. Oh, please, don't feel sorry for me. You might say, way to go, Charlie. I'll see you soon. Do you live with that kind of confidence every day? You know, I'd be scared to even go out into the world almost if I didn't have Jesus Christ. I don't know how lost people, people who reject Jesus Christ, even face this intimidating and scary and chaotic and, and violent world in which we live. But we're overcomers. And we're secure in our salvation because of a powerful witness. Because of a powerful witness. Now, a witness is someone who has personal and immediate knowledge of something. You know, if you drive up an hour and a half after an accident has happened, you really can't be a witness to the accident. Oh, you can say, well, the fender sure is tore up. 
you know, and yeah, there's glass all over the road. But that's not being a witness. You didn't see anything that it pertains to the accident. You can't say, well, I saw this car pull out in front of this car, da-da-da-da. A witness is someone who has personal and immediate knowledge of something. And let me tell you something. Overcomers are wonderful witnesses. You know, part of you reaching out and being evangelistic is simply being a faithful witness. You don't have to go out through your neighborhood and recite Genesis to Revelation. <laughs> You don't have to go out there and name all the major and minor prophets. And, you know, you don't have to dazzle people with your biblical knowledge, though you should know something about the Word of God. Be a witness. Be a witness. Be able to tell people, I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God because I know that by the faith that God has given to me and the teachings of His Word that I was a sinner, lost and wretched and depraved and headed for hell. And God opened my spiritual eyes to see that I was going to head towards hell if I didn't make some kind of course correction. But there was nothing I could do. But God revealed to me the wonderful truth of His Son, Jesus Christ, who gave His life on the cross and died for my sins. And I believe that with all my heart, I believe it. And I've asked Jesus to forgive me of my sins. I've asked Him to be the Lord of my life, not only my Savior, but the Lord of my life. And I have committed to follow Him every day according to the teachings of His Word. And let me tell you something. People can tell. People can tell. If you know Jesus or you don't. If you're faking it, it's like fake news. I know our president's made that term quite popular. But you know, you need to be able to speak from personal experience about the love of God in your heart, about the peace of God that comes over you. You need to be able to speak with confidence about the reality of you know that your sins are forgiven. You need to look in their eyes and say, listen, I know because of my faith in Jesus Christ that even when I die, I will live in the presence of God forever in a perfect home that He's prepared for me. And people can tell, ladies and gentlemen, you see, if you've experienced it, you've got personal first-hand knowledge. Amen? I can't witness for you. I can't testify. Oh, I can tell people about what wonderful people you are and what great Christians you are and what wonderful church members you are. But I can't testify to your salvation experience. That's yours. I have a story and you have a story. And so therefore we are secure in our salvation as overcomers based on not our witness, even though we are to be witnesses. But John says, no, oh, no, 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 no. The security of your salvation doesn't rest on your witness. But he says it rests on one that's even better. The testimony of God Almighty himself. You understand that everything about this Bible here and everything about the true story of the gospel is based on the testimony of God. Thus saith the Lord. And it's God's testimony. It's God's witness upon which we base our eternal salvation. And John is helping us to see, beginning in verse 6, that the testimony of God, first of all, is external. There are number, a number of ways in which God the Father testifies, was a witness, that Jesus Christ, 
was indeed the only begotten Son of God sent into the world to be the Savior of the world. You see, the, the false teachers and the, her, the heretics like the Gnostics were trying to deny that Jesus was the God-man, that he was fully God and fully man. They said, oh yeah, he was a man, but at this, when he was baptized, he was just anointed with the Spirit of God. But then when it came time to be crucified and all that sin stuff, he was out of there. He was just a man who was possessed with the Spirit. God says, uh-uh. No, no, no. Listen to what John says. Let's, let's, let's look at uh, verse 6. He says, this is he who came by water, speaking of Jesus, by water and blood. Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness because the Spirit is truth. For there are three who bear witness. Now I need to just pause. Put your finger on the pause button because some of you, like myself, you either have a King James translation of the Scripture or you have a New King James translation of the Scripture. And if you have that, those, either one of those two translations, it's going to continue on in verse 7 to say, In heaven, the Father, the, the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth. So in, in, in these two translations, you find those verses, those words. In the ESV or NIV, you're probably saying, well, that's not in my Bible. <laughs> And I'll explain very briefly. Because you see, the, according to scholars of the scriptures, those words that were inserted are not a part of the uh, official canonized text. They were scribal notes. Scribe was copying along everything John was saying there. And he got to that point and he said, Oh, this would be a wonderful time to give a great defense of the reality of the Trinity. And says, he's saying there's three witnesses in heaven. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Who all testify of the, of the authenticity of Jesus Christ. And, and it's a wonderful description. It's, all, it's true. There's nothing false about that. But, but all the manuscripts prior to the 10th century AD. All the reliable manuscripts upon which the scripture is based. Do not have those words. And so therefore, you just need to make a note of that. Okay? That's your little scribble lesson for today. Okay? And so now, going back and, and, and what I want you to do, let me go back and read verse 7 and go right on into verse 8 the right way. For there are three who bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we, have, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he testified of his Son. So let's just stop there for a second. What is the witness of God? What is this external witness of God? How did God testify, God the Father, testify that Jesus was indeed who he said he was? And so first of all, I want you to do is go with me. And by the way, this does not pertain to as some some commentaries have tried to suggest or some teachers have tried to suggest oh that's that's when Jesus was stabbed with the spear when he hung on the cross by the Roman soldier and it pierced the the uh, heart and, and and the Bible does record and John records it that 
that there flowed out of him uh, blood and water there in John 19, verse 34. No, that's not what he's talking about there. That was just proof that Jesus was dead. Okay, let's go back to the witness. How did God testify that Jesus was indeed who he said he was? You go back to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and I want you to see, beginning in verse 31, Jesus is talking to some Jews who don't really believe in him, who are giving him a hard time. But listen to what Jesus said beginning in verse 31 of chapter 5. Jesus says, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, you can go around and tell anybody anything about yourself. But if that's all you, if you're the only evidence you got, good luck. Good luck getting a job without a reference, right? You tell people how wonderful you are and how hard working you are and dedicated you are. And they'll you know, nod and grin and all. But they want to see somebody else say that. They want to see some evidence that you are what you are. Okay? So Jesus says, if I bear a witness of myself, my, my, my witness is not true as far as the law is concerned and everything. Verse 32, there is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. He's speaking of God the Father. He says, you have sent to John... And he has bore witness to the truth. In other words, the Jews wanted to know John's opinion. John the Baptist. And they said, tell us about this Jesus. Is he, real, is he a kook? Is he a quack? Is he is always the real deal? And of course, John gave a glowing testimony that Jesus was who he was. And so, um, he says, you have sent to John and he has bore witness to the truth. Look at verse 34. Yet, I do not receive testimony from man... But I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, speaking of John, John the Baptist, and you were willing for a time, and they were. They for a time, they were, uh, they were going to John and gave him respect, but then, you know, when he began to preach all this repentance stuff, they turned on him. But he says, for, for a time, you were willing to, uh, uh, for a time, to rejoice in his light. Now look at verse 36. Focus on verse 36. This is Jesus speaking in his own defense. He says, but I have a greater witness, greater than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. So, Jesus is going out on a limb with these Jewish leaders who are confronting him. He said, no, look, John's already given me a, a good glowing testimony. John's been a great witness of me. And John did. You know, John says, look, I must decrease, he must increase. He said, the one who comes after me, he said, John says, I baptize with water. He baptizes, he baptizes with fire. John says, I'm not even worthy to untie the, the thongs of his sandal, his, the straps of his sandal. That's how great this one is, speaking of Jesus. But the real witness that gave evidence that Jesus was who he is, we find in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3. You know the story. Jesus went down to the Jordan where John was baptizing. And there in chapter 3, uh, uh, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, 
It says, then Jesus, this is after John, had lowered him under the water, raising him up. Then Jesus, when he had been baptized, came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and lighting, alighting upon him. So you got Jesus the Son, you got Jesus the Holy Spirit. But don't stop yet, folks, because the Trinity is made whole in just a second. In verse 17, and suddenly a voice came from heaven. Oh, could it be Gabriel? Could it be Michael? Could it be one of the archangels? Not. Because they can't say, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. In the water, in the baptism, when Jesus submitted himself to the baptism to identify with lost sinners like us, God confirmed by an audible witness and sent a visible sign of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove that this is my son. He's the real deal. There is no other. He's the only Savior. But it didn't stop there. What about the blood? What about the blood? Because John tells us that Jesus has the testimony of the water and the blood. Turn in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. The blood refers to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ as he hung on that cross on Golgotha, Calvary's hill, that good Friday afternoon. And, and as he was taking upon himself the sins of all of us who believe upon him, and in his agony as he hung upon that cross and was paying the price for our sins, I direct your attention to Matthew chapter 27 verse 45. Matthew records, now from the sixth hour, which would be about noon, until the ninth hour, which would be about three o'clock, there was a darkness over all the land. Ladies and gentlemen, might I submit that even though God sent his son into this world to die on that cross, even though our heavenly father lovingly, sacrificially, sent his son to pay the price for our sins. And it seemed as if God had turned a deaf ear and turned his face from his precious darling son. Oh no, God had a word that day. God the Father made a proclamation to, the, to the, not only the nation of Israel, but to the world. There was a darkness, an unnatural darkness, a phenomena that cannot and will not be explained by science. It was not an eclipse. It was Almighty God speaking from heaven that this man that you have crucified, who is in absolute agony and given his life on that cross, he is my son. And God pulled down the shades of darkness for three hours. For three hours. And about the ninth hour, verse 46, 
Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, fulfilling the words of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we know that following that, Jesus died in verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. You yield up something, you're giving it up. There's nothing taken from Jesus. He was not a, a victim of a mob violence. He gave his life. He yielded up his spirit. God is not finished, folks. The Father still has something to say. Don't miss these verses. In verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. God grabbed a hold of that massive thick curtain that hung in the holy of holies that separated sinful man from holy God and he saw that his precious son had fulfilled his redemptive mission he had died for the sins of lost humanity and God reached and grabbed a hold of that curtain nobody could tear that thing apart not one man could do that and it certainly wasn't torn from the bottom up God reached a hold and grabbed it and ripped that mighty curtain in two so as to say, the way has been made open now. What my son said in John 14, 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. He's saying by written that curtain that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. And he has now prepared a way for you to come directly into the presence of the holiness of God. But he wasn't finished then. As if that weren't enough. Because we know that Matthew records there in verse 51, after the, the curtain was torn from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rock split. I believe God got a hold of the axis of the earth. I'm an almighty God. Understand that he has, he has sacrificed his only begotten son. How can he stand in his mighty throne room in heaven and not do, do something? And shaking the earth as, as Matthew records so much that the rocks were split and the graves were open and many bodies of the saints, not the heathens, who had fallen asleep were raised and came out of the grave after Jesus' resurrection. So, oh my goodness, and they were walking amongst the people in the streets. God was saying to the world, don't you dare, don't you dare Try to equate my son with the thief on the right or the thief on the left. Because he was no thief. He was no sinner. He was the precious, holy son of God. Oh, listen. God gave a witness when Jesus was baptized and God the Father had something to say to the world when his son was crucified. But we also know that there's a witness of God in the Spirit. Peter touches on that in Acts, gospel, in, in Acts chapter 10. You may recall when Peter was addressing Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and, and there in Roman, I mean Acts chapter 10, verse 38, Peter says uh, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He says, Cornelius, listen, 
This Jesus that I preach, that I proclaim, understand, he had the anointing of God. God witnessed of him. God testified of him. God gave his spirit, anointed him with the spirit of God that he might do great and wonderful things. Listen, Jesus had full access to the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit testified all the miracles that Jesus did by the spirit of God. The powerful messages Jesus preached by the anointing of the Spirit of God. Everything that Jesus did, he did according to the will of God and the power of the Spirit of God. So you have the witness of the water, the blood, and the Spirit. So God's people, the Lord's people, overcomers, are secure in our salvation based on the external witnesses of God the Father. But I'm so glad that John went on there in chapter 5 of 1 John with verse 10 and he says, He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. In verse 12, he who has the son has life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. Conclusively there. And within the heart of every true believer of Jesus Christ, there is the Holy Spirit. Don't discount the Holy Spirit as being some cosmic force that's mystical and, and only does things like cause people to act weird and speak in languages they don't know and, and, and do things that are weird and like that. No, 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 no. The Spirit of God is the person of God. The third person of God who lives in us and He does a great work. He, he is a witness. I need the witness of the Holy Spirit. I need God's Spirit talking to my spirit. So do you. So do you. But sometimes our minds are so cluttered by your email and, and FaceTime and Facebook and television and telephone and you know it, that we can't even hear Him. But Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, oh, he's got a lot to say to us. Listen to what he says. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified with Him. Oh, listen, the Spirit's got a message for you. Ladies and gentlemen, every day, He's got a message. Oh, you mess up once and the devil said, there you go, I knew it. Ha, I can tell you, you know better than the rest of the heathens out there. You call yourself a Christian. Yeah, I heard what you said the other day. I saw what you did. Oh, yeah, get out of here. You're worthless in God's eyes. And that's all you listen to, ladies and gentlemen, and the, and the devil will try to fill your head with all kinds of negative messages. But there's the Spirit of God who lives in the heart of the sincere child of God, and he is saying constantly, 
Charlie, over here, over here. You know how sometimes your children get distracted, or your grandchildren, you know, and you're trying to, I know the teachers probably can really say this, you know. You want to get there, hey, hey, everybody up here, get your focus upon the chalkboard, you know. You know, don't forget, you know, just ignore that wild dog that jumped through the windows and tearing the classroom up. You get your attention up here. God, God's Spirit is saying, Charlie, Charlie, look at me, look at me. Listen to me. You are a child of God. Try it. Say to God, Abba, Father. Do it again. Abba, Father. You are a child of God. You're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. Not only that, Charlie, you are a joint heir with Jesus Christ. You are an eternal being. You are valued in the eyes of God. Sometimes we allow the voices of the world and the devil to distract us and to discourage us and to disillusion us. Paul picked up on that. Also in Galatians, it's talking there in chapter 4, in verse 6, when Paul says, and Because you are sons, God has sent forth his, his, the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Tune out all the noise and the distractions and the voices of the world. Mute that phone if you have to. Get, get alone with the Lord. And listen to the testimony of the Spirit who tells you who you really are. And it's evidenced by the eternal life we have in Christ. Do you live like a child of God? Folks, really, seriously. Do you live like a child of God? You think of your life as the dates on the tombstone? Born here, died here. <laughs> That's not you. The Bible tells us we will live forever. We have eternal life. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of God. Because He loved me and gave Himself for me. Paul says, it's not me, it's Christ living in me. Do you live as an eternal creature of God? You know, Jesus said something powerful that I think so many of us overlook. John 10, 10. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life. But listen, listen. That they may have life abundantly. Our Lord Jesus didn't intend after He saved us and adopted us and filled us with His Holy Spirit, He did not attend, uh, intend for you and me to just kind of scrape a little existence and get along in this life and eke out an existence. Oh no, 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 no. He, he has given us the capacity to live life like no other human being on the face of the earth. Oh, I know the world's crowd got their parties. I know they have their money. I know they have their fancy automobiles. I know they have their big buildings. I know they have all those things. But ladies and gentlemen, that's not the abundant life. The abundant life is to wake up and to know that you are a child of God. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That you are an overcomer. And that you can live your life to please almighty eternal God. Live the abundant life that Jesus has given to us to live. Finally, I want to go back to Romans in chapter 6. Just to reiterate what I'm saying here. Romans 6, verse 4 and 5. 
Therefore we were buried with him, Paul says, through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. I'm going to live forever. Not because of any merit of my own. Not because I know so much. It's not what I know. It's who I know. And when you stepped into that baptismal pool. Or one like that. And you submitted yourself to those baptismal waters. You were making a public statement. A powerful symbolic statement. You were saying to all of those. And to the Lord looking on. You said I have died to my old sinful self. That's not me anymore. I'm not a puppet of the devil. I'm not manipulated by the world. My flesh nature doesn't control me because I have been raised up and as you're raised up out of those baptismal waters, you're proclaiming to everyone around that I have been raised in Christ just as he was raised from the grave on the third day. One day, hallelujah, when my body gives up its spirit, I will be in heaven. I will be resurrected into the glorious realities of heaven to be in the presence of the Lord forever. Oh, brothers and sisters, we are overcomers. We are overcomers. When the world comes against us, you hang on tight. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you keep moving forward because all that awaits you is Jesus and God and heaven and the glory that waits upon those who are overcomers. Paul says we are more than conquerors. In Christ, who is our Lord. Amen? Be an overcomer as you go out of this place today. Go into a world that so desperately needs to see and experience people who have true victory in Jesus.